probably about five weeks ago, we started this series called There's an App for That. And we've talked about different kinds of internet apps and smartphone apps that people use. We talked about things like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We've talked about um, uh, different apps like Instagram. Uh, We talked about Angry Birds and how we live in a very angry culture, angry society. Uh, Today we're going to talk about one that uh, some of you may have never even heard of. It's called Tinder. Um, And this is a message that uh, I have been kind of dreading, because we're going to talk about some grown-up issues today, like I said, and uh, we're going to talk about sexual immorality, we're going to talk about uh, Tinder. Uh, Now, if you're unfamiliar with Tinder, this internet app, uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. Now, I did not download the app and try to use it. And I'll explain a little bit why, because I'm a definite swipe left. But anyway, um, some of you get that joke. Uh, You'll understand it better in a second. So what Tinder is, is Tinder is a a dating app. Uh, And it's really not as much to find a a mate or or a spouse as much as it is to find a a hookup. Uh, It is used quite often for casual sex. Um, Now, Tinder, uh, the way it works is it uses your Facebook profile and it uh, it takes pictures off your off your Facebook profile, and it uses your phone's GPS uh, to locate other Tinder users around you. So what happens is, is that you're in an area, you've got your phone, you've got your Tinder open, and other people who are using the app can see your picture. And based on the kinds of things that you like on Facebook, the kinds of things they like, and it, it matches you up with people in the area who are using the same app. And what happens is if you see somebody that you find attractive, you swipe their picture right. If you are not attracted to them, you swipe left. Like I said, I don't use the app because I'm a definite swipe left. Anyway, no, I don't use the app because many reasons, but let me explain what happens is is that what happens uh, is that people swipe right, uh, and if somebody else finds you attractive and they swipe right, then it connects you and you can text message and start uh, messaging with one another. Now, it's, it's dating in the 21st century. It's uh, very, very popular among young people, especially millennials. You have to be 18 to use it, but uh, people 18 to 30 are, are using it quite a bit, especially like in New York. Uh, I read a really interesting article uh, when I was doing research for this message uh, from the magazine Vanity Fair, and I'm going to give you some quotes in just a second, but let me give you some stats about Tinder. There are as many as 50 million users of this dating app. 50 million users. And on average, users will log in 11 times a day to swipe left and swipe right, and they will spend 90 minutes a day doing this on their phones and devices. So this is a very, very popular dating app. And like I said, it's more often used for hookups and casual sex than it is for dating. Although if you go to their website, they will tell you all these little stories about how people met and they got married and this and that. There's about nine stories on the, uh, on the actual uh, <laughs> website, about nine. Uh, and, uh, but let me, let me just share with you some quotes from this article about this generation's hookup culture. One girl named Amanda said this. She goes, there is no dating. There's no relationships. They're rare. You can have a fling a fling that would last seven, eight months, and you could never actually call someone your boyfriend. Hooking up is a lot easier. No one gets hurt. Well, not on the surface. She then goes on to say, it's it's a contest to see who cares less. And guys win a lot at caring less. 
Her friend said this, sex should stem from emotional intimacy and it's the opposite with us right now. And I think it really is kind of destroying females' self-images. Then you've got the guys' side of things. They interviewed a bunch of guys for this article as well. And this is what they said. The guys all say that they don't want to be in relationships. A guy named Nick said, I don't want one. I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff. You can't be selfish in a relationship, Brian says. It feels good just to do what I want. Let me read that one more time. This is a a young man. This is what he said about relationships. He says, you can't be selfish in a relationship. It feels good just to do what I want. One young man said, guys view everything as a competition. Who slept with the best, hottest girls? With these dating apps, he says, you're always sort of prowling. You could talk to two or three girls at a bar and pick the best one, or you can swipe a couple of hundred people a day. The sample size is so much larger. It's like setting up two or three Tinder dates a week, and chances are sleeping with all of them, so you could rack up a hundred girls you slept with in a year. He says that he himself has slept with five different women he met on Tinder Tinderellas, he calls them, in the last eight days. And here's one more quote. This is Jason, a Brooklyn photographer. He said, it's instant gratification and a validation of your own attractiveness by just like swiping your thumb on an app. You see some pretty girl and you swipe and it's like, oh, she thinks you're attractive too. So it's really addicting and you just find yourself mindlessly doing it. It's a validation of your own attractiveness. It has nothing to do with connection, has nothing to do with emotion, has nothing to do with the spiritual side. It's just somebody else thinks I'm hot and they want to see me naked. It's what it's become. It's what sex has become in this hookup culture. Um, There was an interesting story that was told in that article that I read about uh, a a young man who had hooked up with a young girl and uh, and the girl went to the bathroom and... (laughs) When she came back, he was laying in bed swiping again, looking for his next hookup. Casual sex is so casual in our society. And and it's not just hookups. But sexual immorality is everywhere. Sexual immorality is all around us. Sex, Sex is used to sell everything from cars to cheeseburgers. How many of you have ever seen a Carl's Jr. or Hardee's ad? Right? I mean, you can't drive down the street without seeing a a scantily clad uh, woman uh, on a billboard used to sell uh, all kinds of products. It's everywhere. Sexual immorality. We live in a sex-saturated society. It's everywhere. And so what do we do? Uh, What do we, as as followers of Jesus, as people who love God and, and who are loved by God, what do we do? As Christians, and, and the sad thing is, is that the Christians, we don't look much more different than everyone around us. And like I said, it's not just casual hookups. Uh, there's all kinds of sexual immorality. Uh, pornography is huge in this country. Uh, the average age for a child to be exposed for the first time to hardcore pornography is eight years old. Eight years old. In 2015, there was one pornographic website that had over 4.3 billion hours of videos watched on their site alone. In one year, 
4.3 billion hours worth of videos watched. That's more hours than humans have been alive on this planet, by the way, in one year. Over 87 billion videos were viewed. On average, 6,700 people logged in every second. Every second, 6,700 people. That's one website. And there are over 4 million pornographic websites on the internet. 64% of American men view porn at least once monthly. And the percentage of Christian men is nearly the same as that as the culture at large. 79% of men ages 18 to 30 view porn. 67% of men ages 31 to 49 view porn at least monthly. 55% of married men view porn at least monthly. And it's not just guys. One in three women logging onto the internet are logging on for pornography. One in three women. So it's not just guys. It's, it's men and women Worshipping sex. Because we are a society that worships sex, right? I mean, everywhere we look, it's, it's, we're saturated by it. We're, and we, we become so desensitized to it. And there's sexual sin of every single kind. Whether it is uh, cohabitation, whether it is uh, extramarital affairs or premarital sex or homosexual behavior or um, pornography, lust... There's sexual sin of every kind. And I don't want you to think for a second that, you know, we're going to harp on one, because uh, Christians have, have, churches have a really bad reputation of like picking one issue and be like, this is the worst sin ever. It, it, it's not that at all. God hates all sin, whether it's pride or lying or stealing or cheating, uh, uh, arrogance, um, whatever sin is out there. God hates it all, including the sins that we as Christians commit. So whether it's sexual or not, God hates sin, and Jesus had to die for it all. That's the good news in this whole thing, is that Jesus died for all of our sins, sexual and otherwise, because of God's great love for us, because of his incredible grace. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, so our sins can be forgiven. But what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when we are confronted with sexual sin? What do we do when we are tempted to sin sexually? Because sometimes we feel like, well, I can't help myself. I'm a slave to my desires. We'll talk about that this morning. I want you to grab your Bible as we talk about this. It's not just about Tinder. It's about sexual immorality. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. It's on page 829. Page 829. Or if you have your favorite uh, smartphone app or uh, uh, tablet app, I recommend version or Bible Gateway. Uh, turn to Ephesians 5, 1 through 3. And we're going to see what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Now, Ephesus was a city, and it was probably, this letter was written to a bunch of churches around the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a, a city with a kind of a small Jewish population, a large Gentile population. Uh, the Roman Empire was notorious for the sexual immorality. Um, when it comes to uh, the, uh, the city of Ephesus, there was a huge temple there, a temple of Artemis or temple of Diana, goddess of beauty, goddess of the hunt, goddess of fertility. And so you have this fertility goddess with this huge temple. It's like six times larger than the Parthenon. This was a, one of the seven, ancient, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. So this is a city and an empire that is saturated in sexuality, much like America today. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, this is what Paul writes in one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Ephesians 4, 17 to the end of chapter 5. 
Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he says this, But among you, Christians, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now he lists three different kinds of sexual sin there that we're going to talk about. The first is sexual immorality. This comes from the Greek word porneia. It's a word from which we get our word pornography. And in some other translations, it's translated as fornication. And it's any kind of sexual intercourse outside of a heterosexual committed monogamous uh, married relationship. So it could be cohabitation, it could be homosexual behavior, it could be uh, premarital sex or extramarital affairs. Uh, This is the kind of sexual immorality that the Bible says is forbidden for God's holy people. So when it comes to sexual immorality, it's not proper, Paul says, for God's holy people. It is improper. And he says there shouldn't even be a hint of it among us. Now, I don't want you to think for, for one second here that, that uh, like I said, that this is like the unforgivable sin or that this is, uh, a, we're a one-issue church. You know, again, God hates sin of every kind. And Jesus died for sins of every kind, including sexual sins. So when it comes to sexual immorality, the Bible says that there should not even be a hint of it among us. That we need to be holy. We'll talk about that in just a second. So the first word there is sexual immorality, porneia, fornication, any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed monogamous heterosexual married relationship, which we have to say now in 2016. Uh, The second word is impurity. And the word impurity is a word uh, that I, I like what John MacArthur says about it in his commentary. He describes it like this. It refers to immoral thoughts, passions, ideas, fantasies, and every other form of sexual corruption. So this is more than just a physical act. This is what goes on up here, what goes on in here. It is your fantasy life. It is your thought life. It is your, uh, it's lust. It's things like that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, when he talked about it, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, this is more than just swipe left, swipe right. Oh, she's cute. Oh, he's handsome. This is like when you're actually plotting a way to try and and hook up with someone. This is looking at somebody else and saying, I I find them really attractive and I'll do whatever I can to hook up with that person. It's plotting and planning. It's it's wanting control over that person. That's what lust is. It's more than just, oh, she's cute or, oh, he's handsome. It is is a, uh, a deliberate attempt to try and hook up with that person, especially if they're married and you're not. Uh, the last word is greed. Now, when we think of greed, we tend to think of money, right? Well, he is talking about sexual greed, and, and really a word that it's better translated as covetousness, which is a desire to have more. It's have moreness. Uh, it's covetousness. We don't use that word very much, but it's a word that means that I want what someone else has, and I want more than what I have. One commentator put it like this. In the sexual context of the other two, greed may be taken as unrestrained sexual greed whereby a person assumes that others exist for his or her own 
gratification. It's using somebody sexually. That is what sexual greed is all about. It's using someone for their body. See, sex is not just physical. It is spiritual. It is emotional. It is psychological. And it is, uh, we've lost that in this hookup culture in which we live. We've lost that in this highly sexualized culture uh, in which we live. And so we need to do what Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Notice, it is idolatry, and we are in a society that worships sex. It's an idol in our country and in our society. So we need to put this to death, Paul says to the Colossians. Put it to death. And we may think, well, you know, I, I can't help myself. I'm a, I'm a slave to my desires. I, you know, it's, I'm a slave to my appetites. No. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if, you've been, if you believe in Jesus and you've repented of your sins, confessed your faith and been baptized, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you. And with the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can break any chain of addiction through the power of God. We'll talk about that in just a second. This is so important that we acknowledge the sexual sin in our own lives, that we acknowledge the sexual sin that is all around us. Because look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 5. He says, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There's no place in heaven for the immoral, impure, or greedy person. We need to get a handle on this. We need to confess it. We need to acknowledge it. We need to repent from it. We need to break those chains of sexual addiction and sexual immorality and impurity and sexual greed. We need to break those chains because God expects us to be holy. I saw a sermon once by a pastor named Ed Young Jr. And he uh, has a show called The Creative Connection. And he's very, very creative when it comes to his sermons. And he actually had on stage a yellow Ferrari convertible. I, I, I want that kind of budget. I want that sermon kind of budget where I can like drive a Ferrari out here on the, I'd be terrified. But this is what, it was a sermon about sexual immorality. And what he said was that, um, that, Sexual immorality, sex outside of a heterosexual married relationship is like taking a Ferrari off-roading. Why would you ever do that, right? It's a $200,000 automobile. Why would you take a Ferrari off-road? You never would. That's not what its purpose is. That's not what it's designed for. Sex is not designed for anything outside of that uh, heterosexual married relationship between one man and one woman for life. It's not designed for that. But we mess it up. And the good news is, is that God, in his grace, is willing to forgive all of our sins by the blood of Jesus. So when it comes to sexual sins and, and these chains that bind us of, of, of our desires, our sexual appetites, you know, what are we supposed to do? The Bible says that we need to be holy. 
separate, different, set apart, unique. In Hebrews 12, 14, the author of Hebrews said, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16, Peter wrote, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. As God is holy and as he has placed his Holy Spirit within us, he expects holiness from his people. He expects holiness from us to be separate, to be unique, to be set apart, to be different. That we don't look like the rest of the world. That as Christians, we don't do the things that the world does. We live lives of holiness. We have a china cabinet in our dining room. And in the china cabinet are dishes that never get used ever why because they're special they're set aside they're set apart they're different we have a uh, a drawer uh, and in this drawer are things like our scotch tape uh, our ziploc bags and our fine silverware why the silverware gets relegated to the ziploc bag drawer i don't know but this is silverware that we never used and it's not even like real silverware it's like really nice heavy stainless steelware but it's different than the normal stuff we use every day we never use that stuff it stays in the drawer with the ziploc bags which get used all the time but it's different it's set aside it's set apart for a special purpose that's what sex is it is different it is set aside and as christians we need to set it aside and for the special thing that it really is that god created it for Uh, for married couples that God created to be within the safety and security of the commitment of a married relationship between a man and a woman this is what God has created it for and he created it for us and and we mess it up well we allow different things to creep in to our marriages we allow different things to creep in and lust and, and pornography and, and affairs and premarital sex and extramarital affairs and, and all kinds of things creep into our, our sex lives that, that don't belong. And we do not live lives of holiness like we should. And that's when we fall upon God's grace. That's when we fall upon the grace of God. And we ask for his forgiveness. And the Bible says that if we will repent from our sins and that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive our sins. And we can take that to the bank. We can, we can put, put our hope in that, that our sins can and will be forgiven by God's grace. In the meantime, we must strive for holiness. And we may think, well, you know, I'm just, I can't help myself. I'm, I'm a slave I'm a slave to to chains of sin. I'm a slave to my desires. This is what it all comes down to. We are not to be slaves to our desires. We are to be slaves to righteousness. We are called by God to live lives of holiness and righteousness and to do the right thing. That's God's expectation. God's expectation is holiness, including when it comes to our sex lives. God expects holiness and righteousness. And like I said, you may think, well, I just can't help myself. 
It's just who I am. It's just how God made me. It's just my desires are too strong. With the Holy Spirit within you, God's Spirit is stronger than your appetites. God's Spirit is stronger than your desires. That God can give you the strength to overcome temptation of any kind. And the Bible tells us that he always provides a way out. The problem is we don't want to take the way out, do we? It feels too good. This sin is too great. You know, I just, I can't, I want to do it. You know, and, and it's just, it's, in Romans six twenty two and 23, Paul wrote, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God wants to give you the gift of eternal life and he doesn't want you to derail it. He doesn't want you to, to derail it with, with being a slave to your appetites. Instead, he wants to give you freedom from those chains. He wants to give you uh, victory over those uh, appetites, those desires. He wants, to, he wants you to have a healthy uh, sex life that he has created for you. And he expects holiness and righteousness from us. So this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to do something different. I'm going to open up the stage uh, that if you are dealing with a sexual sin in your life and you're like, you know what, I need, to, I need to confess this. I need to acknowledge it. I need to repent from it. We invite, when we're going to sing our song of invitation in a second, we invite you to come forward and you can just lay it down right up here. Just come down, get, get it, hit your knees and, and pray to God uh, asking for his forgiveness, re- confessing your sin to him and repenting. Uh, as a sign of repentance, come forward and, and do that this morning. You can do that today. And, and you know what, you think, well, I don't want to come forward because someone's going to look at me and wonder what's going on in my life. You know what, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. This is between you and God. It's between you and God. And so if you need to hit your knees this morning, and you can do it right where you are. If you need to hit your knees in repentance and, and confess your sins to God, do that right where you are. But don't wait another day, don't wait another minute. Immorality, impurity, and sexual greed are not proper for God's holy people, and he calls us to be holy. And so if you need to find an accountability partner, someone to hold you accountable, find that person who will hold you accountable. If you need to confess that sin and repent from it today, do that today. But give it over to him. Live a life of purity and holiness in his presence and in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your forgiveness and grace God, we have messed up your beautiful creation in so many different ways. We sin against you. We sin against one another. We sin against our spouses. We sin against our, our friends. Father, we, uh, we come to you now and confess our sexual sin to you, praying and asking for your forgiveness today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here who may be struggling with sexual desires of, uh, that are improper, uh, as the Bible says. And Lord, there's things in the Bible that we don't like. There's things in the Bible that we read and we, we don't like that. But it doesn't change the fact that it's your word. And it is it's the scripture and we must obey. So help us, Father, in our weaknesses to turn to you for strength. Help us in our bondage. Uh, and when we feel like we're slaves to our appetites, that God remember, remind us that we are slaves to righteousness. And the Holy Spirit within us is greater and more powerful than our impure and immoral desires. So help us now, Father God, in our hour of need. In Jesus' name, amen.